Hi, I'm Tony. And I'm Patrick. And we'd like to welcome you to uh, today's edition or session of um, uh, Cave to the Cross Apologetics, where we look at uh, theology and philosophy and even science and try to uh, make sense out of various materials and writings that uh, modern-day theologians and philosophers, and uh, especially Christians, have uh, considered with regard to these things. And we want to try to make them a little easier for everybody to understand if we can, so yeah. Well, and we're we're uh, hopefully going to be good atheists today. So yeah, that's that, right. That, that's the that's goal right. of uh, uh, Dr. Mitch Stokes' book, uh, "How to Be an Atheist," and uh, why many skeptics aren't skeptical enough. And we're just into the second portion of our book, where we're looking at uh, science. Uh, what does an atheistic worldview tell us uh, that we should believe about science? How to be a proper a proper skeptic? Because obviously, we don't want to believe that. There's an all-powerful God who has made everything and sustains everything, and uh, we definitely don't want to put a, a God in the gaps there. So right. every explanation where we don't know the answer to, we say God did it. We definitely don't want that to happen. In fact, that's what the uh, that's what Chapter Three is all about, that's and that's right. how uh, Mitch Stokes uh, begins his Chapter Three. In fact, it's titled "Science Ruining Everything Since 1543." Right? <laughs> and so, what did it ruin? Well, he says most people would uh, never have uh, much uh, have never uh, have given much thought to whether God exists had there been no scientific revolution. Right? In other words, people would have assumed, at least in the West, right? Uh, but since Perdican's publication in uh, 1543, it seems like we just can't help ourselves, right? <laughs> the general picture he tells us is like in Benaiah, and so this is, and, and this will give you kind of a feel, I'll kind of read this here, and this will give you a feel for how Miss um, uh, Stokes writes here. He's, uh, he's uh, well, I, I think you'll like his writing. So make sure you get the book and, and feel right. free to follow along as well. Yeah, absolutely. He says, in benighted days of yore, when you, we had no science to guide us, we employed God to explain the wonders of the world including the existence of the world itself. But now in the fullness of time, we have seen a great light. Hint, it rhymes with science. <laughs> this light has chased God into the shadows, he tells us. Uh, to this day, science continues to replace God-filled gaps in our understanding of all natural ingredients, right? And since we don't need God to explain the existence and nature of the universe, we don't need God Period. Right. So, and and he's the the point he's making is in past we use God as a as explanation of you know all kinds of uh, basic questions about the world. Mm -hmm. And he says now, at least since what he's suggesting since Copernicus, right, uh, God has been replaced with natural naturalistic scientific explanations. And so, as we begin to explain more and more things. Without reference to God, we've kind of squeezed God out of the explanations, and therefore, nowadays, we don't need God, period. Right. So, no longer is thunder God bowling. Uh, the angels aren't crying when it rains. Right. Uh, right. All those explanations are out the window <laughs> for the real reason, because, uh, you know, lightning and, and, and all, all those things that happen, the water cycle, everything like that, uh, even though maybe the Bible also talks about that, too, and um, we seem to conflate uh, all the gods of the world with the biblical God. And so uh, 
you know, that, that it's it's easy to hit a target when when you make a big big straw man. That's right. <laughs> and so he says, now the undeniable success of science can make this line of reasoning seem pretty plausible, but he tells us there are good reasons to doubt it. And of course, many of these good reasons to doubt it, he says, are scientific reasons, right? And so that's what he wants to cover, at least in this part two of his book, where he's going to deal now with science. So his book is basically, he gives us an introduction in part one. Part two, he deals with all the issues with regard to science. And then part three, he looks at ethics. So that's kind of where he's going here. So he says, I'll make a case that these arguments leave a lot to be desired, and that those of us who are enthusiastic about science should regard them with healthy skepticism. Remember, the premise of his book right. is, uh, you know, we need to be skeptical. Sober skeptics. Sober skeptics, mm-hmm. exactly. Why many skeptics aren't skeptic enough. And so he wants us to be skeptical about all of these issues. Mm-hmm. Right? Which he does say that both believers and unbelievers, atheists, Christians, anybody should be sober skeptics. But how do we do that properly and also maintain uh, uh, an understanding of what we are actually talking about when we say skeptic? Good. Yeah. Yeah. So what he wants to do in this chapter is look at Two scientists, he says they're very good scientists, and uh, who argue that we no longer need God to account for the universe's existence, and of course, our existence in the universe as well. Right, right. Why is why is there anything, and why is there life? The, right. Kind of the two big questions. And so, you would think that those tend to be, um, you know, your... Uh, where you know why do we go towards religion? It tells us the the whys and the whats and the hows. Um, science just seems to tell us uh, uh, not really the whys. That seems to be uh, uh, an area for um, either metaphysics or philosophy in general. So, right, that's the why uh, question. Yeah. Here, here are two scientists that are trying to overcome philosophy, so we don't have to talk about it. Uh, because science is the be-all, end-all, especially as a natural, right. naturalistic person. Science gives us an explanation of everything, and so we don't need theology, we don't need philosophy, clearly, you know, and as a result, we don't need God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the first uh, um, scientist that uh, he brings up is one who's very well known, although I don't think anyone truly knows much about him because to say he was the smartest man in the world and you just kind of accept it, but Stephen Hawking... Uh, who tends to use a lot of um, uh, designer-type uh, analogies and titles for his books in his book, The Grand Design, uh, <laughs> with his uh, co-author, Leonard Milanovic. Milanoff? There we go. Milanoff. Um, they, uh, they attempt to answer the, kind of the three big questions. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why do we exist? And why this particular set of laws and not some others? So... Why is there something rather than nothing? Why do we exist? Um, uh, is is the second one, and also uh, how, how come we operate with gravity and not um, uh, uh, fire and air, wanting to go to the direction that they're um, you know intended to up? Right. And then, why, why are things pulled And rocks down go earth? down. Rocks, yeah. rocks and water go down. Yeah. yeah, so notice these are why questions, right? right? And so usually we would say that these this is in the domain of, of uh, philosophy, mm-hmm. even theology, and that sort of thing. They're making these, they want to make these questions uh, scientific questions. Right. right. So Hawkins wants to say we can't uh, depend on philosophy anymore. Philosophy is dead, along with God, yeah. according to them. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they're coming off a lot of a lot of yeah. old age things. Yeah. God, philosophy. Yeah, yeah. yeah a, a lot of white towers are coming down. Um, uh, philosophy is not kept up with modern science, particularly physics. And lo and behold, uh, Dr. Hawkins was a member of the physics community. Yeah, so how about seem, that? seems interesting yeah. that uh, it's, it's kind of like a vested interest. But yeah. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, discipline is game. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, then. Uh, they talk about how you know physics is to be all end all, and he says here they then go on to do a lot of philosophy because, I mean that's that's what it is. That's the types of yeah. questions they're asking. Just, it's just, philosophical. Yeah, just right. because you, you want to term it under the the banner of science doesn't mean you know you're actually talking about a, a banner of of natural science. Um, so um, Hawking's here in, in giving his answer wants to say that. Um, that these three, the, the big cues, the big questions, uh, can be answered purely within the realm of science without invoking any divine beings, which is exactly what we want if we want to be good atheists, because if we invoke a divine being, we're no longer the ah in atheists. <laughs> uh, right. So he posits this M theory, and uh, it's uh, kind of a, a, um, a, a, a scary um, thought to have, oh man, now we're going to be getting into all these different type of theories. But essentially what the M theory is, is the multiverse. And we, we understand this from watching uh, different uh, comic book movies, uh, especially mm -hmm. the DC universe has, you know, different types of universes that they bring out and say, oh, well, this, you know, this Flash uh, or Superman is part of this universe. This, this one is part of this universe. So you can kind of keep uh, an understanding that, well, you know, in uh, this universe, Superman was raised by Jonathan Martha Kent, so he became American Superman. But in Red Sun version of Superman, uh, he was raised by Soviet parents and wow. became part of you know the Soviet uh, Superman. So that's kind of how uh, we think of this. Um, this is really, really big and and really taught amongst um, uh, uh, people. Even even if uh, some scientists believe in kind of the. Uh, the theory of you know you're you're the brain in the vat you're part of the the grand experiment. There's still uh, multiverse theories that they bring up. So um, people like uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson um, sometimes posits this. Uh, even even some of our own William Lane Craig is a huge proponent yeah. of the multiverse. Theory. So so it used to be we would call these things different dimensions, right? Sure, yeah. You know yeah. So this so this would be a different <laughs> dimension where th everything has changed, nothing is the same yeah. as it is in our dimension and then there's another dimension where right. maybe I was, you know, uh I don't know, a giant or something I mean, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, but dimension seems to s exist within the universe. You're just not seeing the 15th dimension, you know. Right. You, you right. kind of think of Star Trek, you 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 go into a slipstream and you're in the fourth dimension without you know having to worry about space so that way you could travel faster but this this posits things like you know what if the nazis won world war ii or uh what if instead of for breakfast today you had the bowl of cereal rather than the bagel so any little uh choice or 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 permutation of a universe has existed, so essentially, or is existing, yeah, at the same time, right, in both uh, time and also uh, event. So you can kind of uh, think about, how, well, how many number of is this? And this is really important to um, Hawking's theory: is that there's almost an infinite number because how many choices did you make, or how many permutations could you have made just getting out of bed in the morning? I mean, 
thousands, millions. Mm-hmm. You know? do, mm-hmm. I, do I brush my teeth? Do I uh, get out of bed by uh, using my hands to, to do a handstand? I mean, you, there's there's all sorts of different worlds. That yeah, So and, and some of this comes from uh, there's certain variants of quantum uh, theories that say that every every choice we make causes another you know, universe to to right. appear, yeah. and so obviously there are billions of people, there are billions of choices, and so there are many, many of these universes. So that's what some you know, variants of quantum physics argue, mm-hmm. and so this is kind of a you know, kind of a spilling over from some of those right. types of ideas. Although yeah. then you have to ask the question: Well, how come? There isn't a universe where you can travel to other universes. Yeah. Uh, how come? I always say, how come there's not a universe that uh, that people have maliciously made a weapon to destroy other universes? So why are we in existence yeah. if, if yeah. you know that's one of the possible permutations? So um, that seems to be more of a critique on it. But I'm not going to do that here too much, but. Um, we'll let Mitch do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll let the author get his uh, uh, have his tw- day. Twenty three bucks. For That's right. <laughs> so uh, again, uh, he goes on to say the first question: Why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, it, uh, Hawking says that there that there is such thing as something. Something we're trying to account for is not what we expected. It's not the universe that we kind of come to know and love. It's like all these different ones. In fact, he puts a number on it of ten to the five hundredth power. So. 10 times 10, 500 times, which is uh, an insane number that you don't even need a name for it because it's too large. Yeah, he says that uh, it's more than all the atoms in the known universe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So essentially, we just call this the multiverse, and Hawking says that um, it, it um, the universe uh, collectively called the multiverse originated uh, naturally. So how, how did it come about? It came about naturally from physical laws. So physical laws existed, and then all of a sudden, boom, multiverse. With all their different permutations, the ability to survive, the ability to have life, all these things just came about from physical laws. So why is there something rather than nothing? Physical laws. It gives us a reason, uh, not really why, but a, a reason. So... Um, the quest can also be thought of as the search for the multiverse cause, which has brought everything into existence. Um, he goes on to say, these, these laws tell us that quantum fluctuations lead to creation of tiny universes out of nothing. And so we know that the origin of the universe was a quantum event. So um, how did it happen? Uh, nothing came into existence, and this quantum event uh, also had physical laws, and all of a sudden now we exist. and. There's life in this one. Uh, why? Because spontaneous creation is the reason that there is something rather than nothing. So, yeah. what, why why do we exist? Why is there life? Well, because spontaneous creation happened, or right. spontaneous. It, it's it's not not a big C creation. It's just life happened be- spontaneously. So it just happened. So there you go. There's your explanation. Yeah, it just uh, spontaneously came into yep. existence. Multiverse is. Let's see. What what are our reasons? Why is there something rather than nothing? Um, because of uh, the um, the uh, physical laws caused it to happen. Why do we exist? Um, because there are multiverses, and so we just happen to exist in one of those universes where we exist. And why this particular set of laws rather than uh, others? Because spontaneous creation happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well. I'm glad we got that one out of the way. <laughs> uh, philosophy is dead. Long live physics.
Yeah, so, you know, the next kind of thing he wants to, us to uh, work through is then, how exactly does it explain this multiverse theory here? Explain the vast complexity and order that we see around us, right? That's This is kind of really the, the life question, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah, this uh, is the... Uh, why do we exist, right? right? Our, our university right. says this isn't just something that can be thrown together willy-nilly. <laughs> <laughs> Not like right. the other things. <clears throat> right. right. So how does the universe explain the existence of us, right? Complex mm-hmm. life. Why do we exist? Yeah. How does the universe help us to, yeah, the, the second question, why do we exist? So no, he, he notes that in previous chapters, uh, uh, there were two issues regarding the existence of life. Number one, the origin of life, mm-hmm. right? Where did it come from initially? How did it come about? How did it, what, what was the source of it? We might say the origin of it. Where did it start? And then secondly, the evolution of life. So once you have it, once life has come, now the issue is how did it get to where it mm-hmm. is today, right? And Stokes had the issue with both those. The first one, the origin, well, we don't really know. We we have this kind of thinking that it rained on the rocks for millions of years, lightning struck it, boom, amino acids. Amino acids formed together, get simple cells uh, as a part of that, and, uh, and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, so we weren't sure. But we did know that, you know, how we got to where we are today, right. that was the evolutionary process, right. right? He says there's allegedly an entire natural explanation for the evolution of life from its initial form to the extravagance that we see now, right? And so in any case, uh, he says uh, the issue is, well, what about now the origin is what he's dealing with, mm-hmm. right? He says, notice these natural processes, even the biological ones, will, will be ultimately explained by the laws of physics, as you mentioned, right? right? They have to be. Right. Yeah. Since the laws of physics govern all of the fundamental entities of which the universe is made. So if we keep, this is called kind of a reductionism, right? If we keep going back and trying to explain further and going back, we eventually just get to the laws of physics that allow allow us to explain everything mm-hmm. right so we can re- everything can reduce to physical processes and physical processes then uh, we know uh, the laws of physics will allow us to explain various physical processes so he says the general answer to the second question why do we exist is this because the laws of physics makes the universe biologically friendly there it is so we yeah we get back to physics right physics explains everything f equals ma means that i'm able to uh, exist (laughs) i am able to have a personality distinct from everybody else's hopefully um and i'm able to uh, reproduce. I'm able to survive. I'm able to have kidney uh, uh, transplants. Right. All those things is because uh, force equals mass times accelerator. That's right. Or at least one of the laws of well, physics, right? Right. Sure. <laughs> right. All right. And so notice he says, to be sure this doesn't get to the heart of the matter, namely how we might account for the fact that our universe landed in the Goldilocks zone where we have now. Yeah, we you have know, an abundance of riches of That's life. right. Right. Okay. But he says the multiverse is an all-natural way to tame the stag improbabilities associated with the universe yeah. coming to life. Out of so many universes, one of them, he says, was sure to produce life from dead matter. Well, clearly. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you can have the dead rise from, the the non or the living rise from the non-living, and so, uh, you know, obviously it had <laughs> Is that it, it like happened. zombies or something? Well, it could be, or, <laughs> I mean, you know, if you wanted to say maybe there was a, a, a man who wasn't quite all man who you know, may have been dead and rose from the dead. That's outside the realm of possibility. But here, 
uh, raining on the rocks millions of years, that goo gets struck by lightning, and there you have life teeming from it. Right, and then from light, then that, that allows us yeah, to... Yeah, that, that one's yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah um, so. But he, here, it, at least it it it, um, atta- uh, uh, it covers the... the um, the issue that Stokes had with the previous uh, chapter is that it seems like evolution is um, hard to fathom because of how many different uh, uh, factors are involved in it. So you, we always said that the 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 one to one ratio is is a, a sure thing. So one to one equals one. That means it happens. There's your probability scale. So if you have almost an infinite number of um, things that could go wrong or need to go right, uh, that's almost an infinity symbol underneath as your denominator, and so that is practically zero. So it doesn't seem like it should happen. Here, instead of the one over infinity, you just make infinity number of universes. We just so happen to live in that, so it's infinity over infinity equals one. There's your probability. So the probability of it happening, according to physics, is one. So at least it deals with the objection of why is there life well it seems like it would have to happen if you have yeah you got so many chances so many chances, so many chances one of them has to be you and know we yeah. are just privileged enough right. to be in the universe where uh, all the things have gone right the, yeah. the goldilocks so stones. just think about it. if there's zillions and zillions of banks and you begin to go into each one of the banks eventually you'll find a bank with an account with your name on it that has 10 million dollars i mean it's entirely possible yeah <laughs> right i mean sure. clearly you know one of them had to do it <laughs> he says the only question left is why this particular set of laws and not others right, right? why are these physical laws and he says we've already answered it the proliferation of the universe makes the universes and their laws a dime a dozen, greatly increasing the odds that at least some universe or other will have the particular laws that allow for us our biological I mean, isn't existence. Isn't this kind of the teleological argumentation? <laughs> is just it 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 it's going to happen because uh, you know it just everything happened perfectly and it just so happens this is the case. It seems like it's the. It's, it's that argumentation. Right. So if the 10 to the 500 universes aren't enough, he says, then there may be more. Oh, well, clearly. Right? Every logically possible world. And perhaps uh, there are infinitely many of these. If so, and here you go, right? Thanks, Mitch. <laughs> All we need to stack the odds ever in our favor is the assumption that our universe is logically possible. So once we say our universe is logically possible because there are you know, all of these multi-universes, then eventually we are here and here we are, right? It seems, too, like if you have uh, logically impossible worlds, that there could be a universe where uh, the car is in the garage and not in the garage at the same time, and that's okay. Like, there seems to, to be a, a, a universe that that should exist. I mean, if, if you have a Goldilocks zone uh, universe where the physics work perfectly, um, the chemical makeup is perfect, uh, and then you drill down to the planetary, and you have life stemming from non-living matter to living matter. Why not have a universe where things don't down, work perfectly? Up is right? down, left yeah. is right. Cats yeah. are dogs. Uh, <laughs> you can have a, a square circle. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you just need a, a, a 
Anything is possible. Ten to the six hundredth power yeah, yeah. universe. Right, right. Yeah. So we, yeah. So, so in the same way that we get billions of years of evolution, and therefore we can any kind of life is possible. We can get bazillions of universes, and therefore the beginning of everything and how we got here is mm-hmm. possible, right? right? So it's it's just a numbers game, one would suggest. Mm-hmm. But this way, it's it has to do with existence. Everything coming into existence, as opposed to you know the various species of life, right? But either way, it's a numbers game. Right. right? You get enough numbers going on your side, and then anything is possible. So Hawkins destroyed philosophy, but not math- mathematics. So right, right. Still okay of course, he used philosophy to destroy philosophy, but he didn't know yeah. that he was doing it. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not his fault, right? Uh, the other one is. Um, that he wants to deal with. He says, Hawkins isn't the only celebrated physicist who believes that science can account for the universe's existence. And so the next person he wants us to consider is Lawrence Krauss. Mm -hmm. He wrote A Universe from Nothing. And he argues uh, much the same thing, although Krauss stays a little closer to the shore using, he says, relativistic quantum (laughs) field theory. All right, so we're more comfortable with that, right? That we're we're not so far out there that we have to swim in the deep waters, right? (laughs) But he says, like Hawkins, Krauss has a low view of philosophy, believing that science has to um, relieve it, that is philosophy, of its regular duties, right? So what is this? Science has shown that out of nothing, Krauss tells us, something can come. According to physics, the universe was generated spontaneously by quantum fluctuations, thanks, yeah, again, from nothing whatsoever. And this then eliminates the requirement of a creator. I mean, it came from nothing, clearly. Yeah, right. that's that's not at all what the Bible says. Right, so right. You can't have, you definitely can't have a creator. We know this. We right, know this. Right. But uh, it seems like out of nothing, something comes. Right, right, right. Even though, uh, you know. Evidence to the contrary. Uh, I don't know how the drugs got in my pocket, officer. It just must have happened. Yeah, this is that particular universe where they (laughs) pop into people's pockets. Come on, officer, give me a break, right? Yeah. We're going to call Krauss to the stand. That's right. He's going to speeding tickets. (laughs) It just so happened the accelerator. You, you, uh, relatively speaking, you only observed me at a uh, particular location where it looked like I was speeding. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So Krauss's opinion on the issue of why. there's something rather than nothing agrees he says with Hawkins and as far as the other questions we are here and why these laws both physics uh, uh, physicists rather are again in agreement the relevant quantum function of fluctuations uh, result in a multiverse right. right but not merely our own lots of them right almost every logical possibility we can imagine he says Krauss uh, indicates um, regarding extended laws of physics as we know them on small scales into a more complete theory suggests that on large scales, our universe is not unique. Biofriendly laws are bound to occur in some universe. Sure, of course. Right? And again, this would certainly account for happenstances like you know, me and you, is what he tells us. <laughs> right? So there it is. Um, uh, why are we here? Let's see. What were the three questions here? Why is there something rather than nothing? Well, it, because um, no, something came out of nothing, right, through the laws of physics and how that they worked, as so Stephen Hawking said, through quantum fluctuations. 
Why do we exist? Well, if there are multiple, multiple universes, eventually one of them came up with us, right? That's why we exist. And why this particular set of laws and not some others? Well, because, again, multiple universes allow for all kinds of laws. And so we happen to be, we just happen to be in the Goldilocks yeah. universe where these laws come into play. As long as they're, they're logically possible. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I've, I've heard uh, people come to Krauss's defense, too. Uh, I think uh, Tyson is one of them on Joe Rogan's podcast was saying something. Or it could have been Michael Shermer. Um, said something along the lines of, well, when, when Krauss says nothing, he only means that to you laymans who can't think in the super high dimensional level. He doesn't really mean nothing. He does mean something. He just right. calls it nothing so, because of it's so small. But So it, his nothing is something, it, but it's really nothing. It, but, if, if, if that's the case, then yeah. he needs to start with nothing because that's not one of the questions is why, why, is, why does something become something? We seem to know that. <laughs> yeah. but why, why is nothing? Why is yeah, that's the good old days, right? Where yeah. something came from right. something. Yeah. Now, the, if you're going to say it came from nothing, you need to be clear about what nothing is and that you're saying it came from nothing, not mm-hmm. something. Because if it did come from something th- and then it didn't come from nothing, then we don't have a problem. We all agree if something comes from something. Right. right? So why write the book? Um, you know, why do it if you believe that you're in the Matrix? To, yeah, yeah. To play along with the Matrix. Right. Yeah. And so what uh, Mitch Stokes tells us is, he says, uh, ending this chapter, of course, a sober skeptic will want to know a bit more before accepting all of this. Yeah, we don't right? want to tear down philosophy just on two guys' whim. Yeah, and so he wants to then appeal to David Hume uh, to, to give us some guidance in terms of us being sober skeptics about all of this something coming from nothing and these multiple universes that we can't detect but all of us but they allow for us to exist and for everything else to exist and all of this stuff right, right. And, and why go back to Hume because uh, people like uh, Dawkins and Hawkins and, and Krauss probably also um, kind of uh, hook hook their their coat hooks into um, the coattails of Hume as being kind of the first skeptic as, as we've um, previously covered in, in previous episodes. So yeah. that, that's why we're returning back to Hume, because we want to start with, what does it mean to be a good skeptic? Right. So, why is there something rather than nothing? Well, because, you know, spontaneously, spontaneous generation acted in a, in a way that allowed something rather than nothing. Why do we exist? Well, because if there are multiple universes that came out of this spontaneously generated quantum fluctuations or whatever, then obviously one of them was going to be have us in it. So that's that's why we exist. And then why does this particular set of laws and not others exist? Well, because, again, with multiple universes, the multiverse, again, one of them was going to have the various laws that we have. So we can, you know, uh, uh, we don't need a creator to explain all of these philosophical uh, which now have become physical mm-hmm. physis, physicist yeah, questions, natural, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have natural explanation, and so we don't say God did it. God's out of the picture. We don't need God for an explanation. So says these folks. Right. We have nothing. Yeah. We have nothing. Nothing we have is lot. the explanation. And then a lot of things result from that nothing. A yeah. lot, a lot of things. That's right. And that gives us uh, you. In fact, and me. a lot, a lot, a lot of <laughs> things. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's if it's good or bad that there's poss- <laughs> the possibility of another me in another universe, yeah. or I'm the most unique me available. I don't know if that's good or yeah. bad on either yeah. side of the equation. Yeah. 
Although these guys really didn't say that. They just kind of said that, you know, that uh, uh, you came about in this particular universe because, you know, uh, that's just the way things happen because there's so many that's of them. That's just right? the case, yeah. yeah. But one would think if there's that many, then anything is possible and there could be at least another you that's something like you. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, it's just uh, 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 Patrick who... Uh, uh, trims the left side of his fingernails only, but not the right side. <laughs> right. Or uh, a Superman version. That's know. right. right. Super think? Patrick. Yeah. yeah. Or a ficus that's named Patrick. That just <laughs> would have been me in another universe. If, if only if only we had a few more universes. That's right. Yeah. Right. So... <laughs> Now, so the next chapter, what he wants to do then is to take a sober, skeptical look at all of this uh, stuff about, right. you know, something's coming from nothings and multiple universes. And he wants to say, OK, what would this sober skeptic say about this? And he, as we mentioned, David Hume is going to be our model. And he t- entitles it Science and the Humean Condition, <laughs> right, which is kind of cute. So that will do it for our time today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, pick up next time with Chapter 4 and, um, and go from there. So uh, join us next week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks.